the science and art of spiritual healing. My introduction to the subject came a week after my 21st birthday, 1956, and uh, at that time I was an evangelist, and divine healing became part of my evangelistic ministry, and resulted in uh, travelling to many parts of the world and ministering to great numbers of, of sick people. At that time, I used to think that divine healing was a specially Christian thing. I had no idea that healing has always been, that, that healing features in all the world's uh, religions, and that there are a great many practitioners of spiritual healing who function quite apart from and independent of any church or even of any religious uh, conviction so Christians often speak of divine healing sometimes we talk of spiritual healing but there has always been healing as I said in all these different religions uh, certainly there was supernatural paranormal healing uh, amongst the ancient Greeks um, and the temples of Greece and also of Egypt I think there was one Esculapius who was a, a Greek god and people could be healed by his ministration I believe they went to sleep and when they, they woke up from their sleep they were healed of they found they were healed of their various conditions. So when Jesus of Nazareth healed uh, the sick, he wasn't really doing any new thing. We find healing miracles recorded in the Old Testament many hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Uh, but for most of us, I suppose, he is the great expert, as it were, on healing. Uh, he ministered with very great uh, effectiveness to large multitudes of people and if we are to believe the Bible record then uh, certainly as Matthew tells us nine times in his gospel on different occasions they were healed every one and uh, I've always wanted to understand divine healing and the principles of healing and to be as successful in healing as, as, as Jesus uh, was and it's a fact that over the years we have seen I suppose just about every different kind of sickness and disease healed many times I have seen uh, people healed of, of blindness um, sometimes a person has been totally blind in, in one eye and has instantly received perfect sight and literally hundreds and hundreds of times we've seen deaf people healed sometimes deaf mutes uh, youngsters who had never been able to hear and never able to speak who uh, after receiving the laying on of hands uh, were able to hear the faintest whisper and also to repeat simple words many times we've seen arthritic cases healed I often think of a lady who came into one of our meetings uh, at a church in Chelmsford she was brought by ambulance and uh, she sat in the in a, a seat next to the gangway in the church her body was just just rigid and straight like that she was as straight as a blank and uh, 
during the course of the meeting I went down to lay hands on her and as I laid hands on her her body just relaxed and she got up and walked and then she she ran and uh, she she pushed her her wheelchair home that had come with her in the in the ambulance so many uh, wonderful and quite outstanding things one has seen over the years uh, quite a number of the miracles of healing have been reported on uh, television BBC and independent television <coughs> in the press the only thing is that the, the, the more one has ministered to the sick the more one has realized how little we really know about it and I today we were just talking about it coming along in the, in the car and I said tonight I don't too often speak about about divine healing and I think that one reason is that I don't really know all that much about it 30 years ago if I had been asked to give this talk I would have done so with alacrity and uh, would have felt that I was something of an expert on it by virtue of the fact that I laid hands on people and they got healed today I have to admit that there's there's so many things that we don't understand about divine healing many anecdotes that I might share with you but this question of faith for instance one is often asked the question is it necessary to have faith to be healed Jesus did not often find faith in people it's rather interesting that only three times does he commend people for their great faith and each time it was somebody of a different religion and they, they weren't Jewish <coughs> but uh, on one occasion which I remember ever so well um, one Good Friday or no it was an Easter Monday in Italy in a town called Udine where we were having some meetings and I was having to preach and speak to the people through an interpreter and when the time came to give the laying on of hands for the people that were sick a, a gentleman shuffled forward and I inquired what the problem was and he had come to be healed of heart trouble if I remember rightly but I noticed that when the minister spoke to the man that the man turned his head as though he could hear only with one ear so I asked him what the, what the trouble was and he said he was deaf in that ear and I said to the interpreter how long have you been deaf and he said well he had lost the, the hearing as a result of the eardrum being destroyed when as a soldier in the second world war uh, he had been uh, wounded and the eardrum had been destroyed so I said with my uh, customary enthusiasm which I used to <laughs> uh, show in those days would you like the Lord Jesus to restore your hearing and this man smiled for the first time that day I think and he said impossible impossible and I said that's all right and I put my fingers in his ears like that and said be open be open took my fingers away and that man could hear the slightest whisper through an ear that seconds before had been stone deafened in which there was no eardrum and with the minister of the church closing that man's ear his good ear up and the ear that had been stone deaf that he was taken down to the far end of the church where I would ask him questions just in a loud whisper and he could, he could answer 
uh, everything or repeat everything that, that I was saying. The interesting thing there was that that man was healed when he told me that it was impossible. So there was no question of faith on his part. Maybe it was faith on my part, I don't know. But um, some years afterwards, I was speaking in a, in a house meeting, not really unlike this, except that there were far more people and I was having to speak out of the kitchen doorway and the people were, were, were jammed all around and crowded close together on the floor. And um, during the course of the meeting, I said something like this, again with my usually evangelistic fervour of those days, although I've long since given up the evangelistic ministry. I said, I have brought you a message from God tonight even if it had been Jesus himself who had been in this meeting he would have said exactly what you have heard me say to you tonight and to prove that I have brought you God's true message he will now heal anybody that is sick um, so a few people uh, requested prayer I prayed for them and I, I don't recall that there was anything of any great significance the meeting broke up, the people began to disperse and a lady came to me and she said Mr Williams would you mind praying for this gentleman and I was just a little bit niggled because I thought well why couldn't she ask for prayer for him at the, at the right time and um, I didn't really feel like praying for him as I said I was just a little bit cross about it so I hadn't even seen the man and the reason was that he'd been sitting right under, underneath my feet. So I said, well, well, what's the trouble? And she said, oh, he's deaf. So I said, well, how deaf is he? And she, she kept her hands <laughs> like this and she put them against his ear and she said, how long have you been deaf? And the old gentleman, who would be about in his mid-seventies, uh, you know how deaf people sometimes speak rather loudly, he shouted out, It was blasted out in the First World War! And honestly, I was so embarrassed, I, if, I would have been quite happy for the, the earth just to have opened up and swallowed me up at that moment, because I, I just had not got the slightest feeling of faith, not the slightest conviction that he would be healed but I was put on the spot so I, as I customarily do I stuck my fingers into both his ears and took one away and whispered in that ear, be opened and then the same with the other ear, be opened, took my finger away and that man could hear the faintest whisper, I mean it was just extraordinary, from the other side of the room he could repeat anything and everything that was that was said to him and the minister who had invited us to speak at that um, house meeting was so amazed he got up early the next morning to go to visit this man to make sure that he really had seen a miracle of healing and, and he confirmed it that was at St Austell in, in, in Cornwall now that was interesting because certainly I had no feeling of faith that the man could be healed I didn't honestly want, want to pray for him he had, hadn't got any faith either I'm quite certain of that he hadn't heard a word that I had spoken all evening 
possibly the lady who asked me to pray for him had got faith, I don't know. You notice, if you are familiar at all with the scriptures, that on at least one occasion, when a man uh, who was paralysed was brought to Jesus, that they took the roof off the, off the house and let him down on a stretcher. And the Bible says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Whether this lady had faith or not, I don't know. But the man was healed. And these two instances which I've just related serve to indicate some of the great problems which we face in trying to arrive at an understanding of how divine healing really works. I feel somehow that I know less about it now than I did in 1956 when we first started. But uh, there is a science, undoubtedly there is a science to uh, divine healing. There's a science and there's an art to it. The science of, of divine healing, coming along in the car just now, I, I did suggest to uh, Nigel and Marcus as we were talking about it, that maybe in the ministry of healing there is little that we can do for anyone else except to help them to help themselves but what exactly does take place when a sick person <coughs> is healed many times one sees um, arthritic joints become loosed and, and flexible and people regaining the, the use of their limbs in a way that they haven't used them for perhaps 20 or, or 30 years Sometimes you may get a case of, of dermatitis that clears up. I remember one case in, at, at Stockton-on-Tees in, in 1959, laying hands on a young person with um, awful dermatitis, a rash all over their, their face and hands, and it literally disappeared before our eyes. They were just the, the skin just cleared up miraculously. And I think it was about that time also in... Um, in Dagenham in Essex where a young lad was brought uh, to me in a prayer line uh, you realise I'm talking about public healing meetings now as distinct from private sessions and uh, he had warts all over his, his face and hands and the next day those had completely disappeared but then is this anything really to do with Jesus? In Christian churches of course they speak about the ministry of divine healing and we say ministry, the, the, the ministry of healing works through the power of the Holy Spirit healing comes from God as Christians we say that healing comes through Jesus or by the power of, of the Holy Spirit but does it? I've heard of, of, of people uh, curing warts by asking for the afflicted person to give them a, a, a penny or something like that has anyone heard of that? you by the person's warts they hand over a coin and the, and, and the warts are cleared up and the more one travels around and gains experience in the world the more you realise that, that healing occurs in so many different societies so many different contexts is it, is it divine at all? divine healing, spiritual healing, supernatural healing the witch doctor in Africa of whom we've seen quite a number the witch doctor 
uh, heals his patients very effectively and we know that healing can take place through hypnotherapy for instance hypnotherapy is, is quite effective in certain instances then I've been speaking about the laying on of hands but when as has sometimes been the case one has had a huge crowd I had 12,000 people at my last public meeting in Zimbabwe there is no way at all in which you're going to be able to lay hands upon the sick and if you did try to do it I suspect that something might happen has happened to us I think the first time we ever went to Africa we were in Nigeria and I was praying for a line of people and the more I prayed for the people the longer the line seemed to get until my wife Frida said to me we've seen this one before <laughs> <laughs> you know receiving the laying on of hands and then joining on the back of the, the queue again to come round a second or a, or a third time but in a large meeting uh, like that I found it wasn't necessary to lay hands on the sick one simply stood before the people and through the interpreter uh, we said uh, we're going to pray for the sick now and how many people in this audience are deaf in one ear or if you know somebody that's standing by you that is totally deaf in both ears would you raise up a hand and all over the great audience of thousands of people you would see hands raised and then I would announce that we will say a prayer now just for those who are deaf and we want all of you who are deaf in one ear to put a finger in your deaf ear and push that finger in there close that ear or we say if there's a person there that's stone deaf you get them to put both fingers in their ears and then I would just say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth the son of the living God I command every deaf ear to be opened and then I would say now test your hearing and get the people to speak to the people that had been dead and then people would start to shout and would say how many people can now hear and dozens of people would raise their hands and we'd get the people to come forward and through the interpreter explain how long that they had been deaf and, uh, this one particular <coughs> meeting I think we had I think it was 36 people that had come forward to, to, uh, to speak of how they had been healed of their deafness and I think an hour or an hour and a quarter had gone by and they, we had only prayed for the deaf so then we prayed for the blind doing exactly the same thing it's if you're blind in one or both eyes cover up the eye and then command the blind people to be healed the same thing happened people started to, to shout and miracles of healing took place which were investigated by the, the Rhodesian Herald I think it was and, and validated there was no doubt about it that miracles of healing took place just as they took place under the ministry of Jesus and his disciples the question is how, to, how does it happen? why does it happen? it doesn't even require the laying on of hands it, it will happen even if you just stand in front of the people and say be healed and someone will say well maybe it's magnetic healing but then if you've got uh, a huge crowd like that there are people that are right at the back of the crowd a considerable distance away and they get healed just as easily and then what about what about absent healing I suppose probably probably 95% of all the patients uh, 
that I'm asked to help. I never actually see personally that people that uh, who write in or someone writes in their behalf or perhaps someone may may phone in a request for them. But I pray for these people and sometimes and it happens hundreds of times obviously over the years because one is praying for so many letters <coughs> testimony come in to say that from that time the person began to get better and that they have been completely healed and they have been to the doctor and the doctor has confirmed that they have been healed of a cancer which was killing them and the doctor can't understand it but explained it as being a spontaneous regression or it must have been a mistaken diagnosis how has the healing taken place at such a great distance might be in Africa might be in, in Australia so it would be very interesting if we could come to some kind of conclusions scientific conclusions about this I am very scientifically inclined um, I'm a Christian uh, I love the Bible I'm not a, a fundamentalist uh, I like also having had a scientific upbringing I like to understand the scientific basis for, for anything and everything that's happening around us and uh, as a group I mean in Wessex we have so many uh, meetings don't we on ESP and psychic phenomena and mediumship and ghosts and UFOs and exorcism and healing which we generally lump together as the paranormal and all of us I'm sure are concerned to understand more about these things and to try to discover some scientific basis for what is taking place the ministry of healing is so well validated today that only someone who is willfully uh, blind or fearful of admitting the fact uh, can deny the fact of the healings that take place over the years I have had doctors who have asked for my help in uh, healing patients I've had doctors uh, write and ask my prayers for their own personal healing and many medical practitioners today uh, acknowledge the fact that healings do take place I think it will not be too long before <coughs> spiritual healing divine healing call it what you will is made available uh, under the National Health Service and maybe this will take some of the load off our hard-pressed GPs my point is that spiritual healing is beginning now to be acknowledged even though it's barely understood it is being acknowledged as a spiritual fact and uh, investigations are being made as to exactly how uh, healing can can take place patients from time to time report feeling uh, a feeling of heat as hands are laid upon them sometimes a patient will say that they felt a, a feeling of chill some people don't feel anything but still they receive their their healing by the way 
uh, I, I would not, of course, want you to suppose that every person that one prays for is uh, either instantly healed or healed at all. There are, of course, many, many failures in divine healing and spiritual healing. And there is no suggestion that any healer, certainly any healer that I've ever known or read about, could ever guarantee that a cure would work. I suggested in my anecdotes earlier on that I approached the healing ministry in my early days with a certain enthusiasm and uh, lack of discretion and many many times I would sort of go into a church and say who is the sickest person in this church or who, who wants to be healed and just ask for someone to raise their hand and I would pray for them and, and apparently they would be healed and sometimes the most miraculous and, and uh, outstanding way but not everyone uh, is healed there are also patients that you pray for who show signs of healing uh, an immediate improvement but afterwards there is a relapse and uh, there is no long term healing but it does seem that in this ministry to the sick there is some kind of spiritual power which is released there is some sort of energy that is released or tapped there is a transmission of power through the healer or I like to think that really in ministering to the sick that there is a power latent within the patient which is activated which comes alive within the patient so that the healing actually wells up from within the patient and flows out into their being. Uh, indeed, this is the way I try to teach healing and to uh, encourage uh, patients. I think that there is a great uh, responsibility laid upon, unnecessarily laid upon practitioners of healing, that people expect that they are somehow going to perform some kind of hocus-pocus and a miraculous healing will be affected. It does happen that way, as I've suggested. <coughs> um, marvellous things do happen that way, but I, it doesn't always happen. Yet in the ministry of Jesus, I find, so far as I can make out, that he had 100% success. On the other hand, it does not say that Jesus went willy-nilly laying his hands upon anyone and everyone. Doesn't it say that he could do no great work in his exactly na Nazareth? This is very important. In, yes. in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them because of their unbelief. I don't think that when it speaks there of unbelief, I don't think that this means simply lack of faith but I think it was actually uh, a very definite antipathy and opposition <coughs> to the, the person and work and ministry of Jesus himself. But it seems important uh, to me for us to understand that there is a power of healing latent within the human body which can affect 
an apparently supernatural cure. When you think about it, our physical bodies are marvels of engineering. And when you think how so many people terribly abuse their bodies, it is miraculous the way in which the body keeps going for so long despite the, all the, the things that, that people do wrong wrong diet, lack of exercise abusing the body through alcohol or tobacco or drugs and so forth when you think about it there must be some kind of healing intelligence within the physical body for you do not have to tell your heart to beat nor your lungs to breathe the processes which are taking place within our bodies all the time go largely unnoticed by us except just occasionally when they go wrong and then we go to the doctor to find out exactly what's wrong and the body has marvellous powers of recuperation in time of, of sickness I think that uh, while I'm not at all or in the least against um, allopathic medicine I do think that a lot of people rush off to the doctor to get treatment uh, whereas if they just relied on the natural healing resources of the human body they would probably get well again just as, as quickly such is the, the recuperative healing power of, of the human body if you should be so unfortunate as to cut yourself accidentally with a knife you know that within about a minute or so perhaps not more than two minutes anyway the blood has begun to clot at the point where you sustain the, the cut how does the body know how and where and when to coagulate the blood so as to stop the bleeding if any of you are uh, biologists or have studied medicine uh, you will know the very intricate and uh, marvellous processes which begin from the very moment that that cut takes place how does the body know to do this there is a marvellous spiritual intelligence which is at, at work so that the healing begins to take effect from the very moment that the injury has, has been sustained and a bridge begins to be uh, built to, to stitch the, the, the wound back together again this is very, very wonderful we perhaps don't pay enough attention to it we don't think uh, enough about it but it seems to me that in trying to come to some kind of understanding of the science of divine healing we need to understand something of the way in which our physical bodies work many people today in the Christian churches practice divine healing when Frieda and I first set out in this ministry 
uh, nearly 30 years ago it was very unusual indeed for an Anglican church to have a healing ministry today it is unusual if your local Anglican church is not involved in some way in the healing ministry that's how much things have, have changed in the early days I would sometimes be asked to uh, conduct a, a healing mission in an Anglican church uh, often with um, <coughs> clergy present and the healing ministry was, was way out it was something rather peculiar something that they were a bit sceptical or fearful about in the last quarter century things have changed but still in the churches many are engaging in this ministry of healing without having the slightest idea how it works I don't know whether this is an advantage or a disadvantage but personally I, I, I like to know what is happening so I suggest that when the laying on of hands takes place something is triggered in the uh, body of the patient which accelerates and expedites the healing process though exactly what happens when a person who has no eardrum finds that he's able to hear perfectly just seconds later I, I don't know <coughs> in a visit to America to speak at a big um, world convention the same week that President Kennedy was assassinated in 1963 I met a young man by the name of Ronald Coyne who as a young man had contracted a disease which spread from his throat to one of his eyes as the result of which he lost his eyesight and the eye was removed some 18 months later he was again afflicted with the same trouble in his throat his mother in great fear and trepidation lest his remaining eye should be affected took him to a lady healer who was conducting a, a church meeting he went up before he was eight years of age at the time about eight went up before him and the lady said uh, looking at the lad said oh have you got something wrong with your eye I should have explained that having had his eye removed he'd had a plastic eye put into the empty socket and she said oh have you got something wrong with your eye pointing to the plastic eye which she did not recognize as being a plastic eye he did not say I have a plastic eye he said I am blind in that eye so she said well I will pray for you then and his mother was tugging at her coat trying to say I brought him up for prayer for his throat to be healed he's got a plastic eye but she didn't get an opportunity to say that the lady evangelist laid hands on young Ronald Coyne and when she took her hand away from his plastic eye he could see through this plastic eye this miracle of healing took place in the mid-1950s and I met with Ronald Coyne in 1963, November 1963 at Cobo Hall in Detroit where he was a speaker at one of these meetings 
and he was demonstrating the fact that he could see with or without his plastic eye and since I was on the platform with him I was asked to help in this he took his plastic eye out and he put it down on the lectern and I uh, took a, a wad of uh, cotton wool and elastoplast I covered up the good eye with the, the wad of uh, cotton wool and elastoplast and uh, he said now anybody in this audience please send some things up for me to read and people sent all sorts of things up and even things in foreign, lang foreign languages which he was perfectly able to read and uh, he told us his, his story and he said you see I can see either with this eye plastic eye in its socket or if I take it out I can, I can still see through it now there's no doubt whatsoever uh, of the fact of this healing it has been uh, investigated by medical people in the United States I was perfectly convinced uh, of the fact of his being able to see and it was only in later years that I came to understand the scientific explanation of why it was that he was able to see even though he had no eye and it was it came about that in the course of my reading I came across other instances reported by the medical profession of people who were able to see who had lost the sight of both their eyes in one instance that I read of the person was able to see because cells in their fingertips had become light sensitive so that in fact the person was able to see through their fingers extraordinary as it may sound there was another case in the medical records of someone being able to see through their ear and although I've never seen Ronald Coyne uh, since we met in 1963 I am as certain as I possibly could be that he sees probably through his cheek or some other cells in his face or body have become light sensitive so that he is able to, to see after all if he was really receiving uh, if he was able to see through the empty socket if the, the cells if, uh, lining the empty eye socket had become light sensitive then it follows that if the plastic eye was then placed on top of it he would again be unable to see so obviously he's seeing through some other part of his of his face presumably of course this still does not answer the question of exactly how it is that the miracle took place and I, and I don't know and I would be very interested to know what uh, what you think about it but these healings do take place um, there are large numbers of people involved in a ministry of healing today the, the National Federation of Spiritual Healers has three and a half thousand accredited healers in this country and uh, probably a, a thousand or more uh, probationer healers and there's at least I think ten thousand other healers not necessarily practicing divine healing but other alternative or complementary therapies so uh, one is interested to understand something of the the scientific basis uh, for healing in laying hands on people with arthritis 
and seeing arthritic limbs become loosed. Uh, one often finds that the patient uh, describes a feeling of, of warmth uh, being experienced at that place. And any of you who know anything about the calcification that takes place in arthritic conditions will know that there's a, a kind of cementing up of, of the joints. Interestingly, in the Bible we have given uh, to us the explanation of many uh, modern sicknesses and diseases. And uh, Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, says, A broken spirit dryeth the bones. And this is a very exact uh, expression of the way in which arthritis comes about. It comes about through the drying up of the natural oil of, of the bones and joints. So there's a, an explanation of, of why people get arthritis. A broken spirit drives the bones. One often finds the person who is prone to arthritis is um, unhappy, uh, bears a burden, has a, what the scripture describes as a broken spirit, but the, the remedy is also stated by Solomon in the same verse for he says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine and of course this is something that one finds all of you any of you that's had experience in uh, helping people counselling, healing you know that if, a if you can lift a person's spirits if you can encourage them to be enthusiastic and to have an optimistic outlook upon life you know that, that how therapeutic that is it seems that in praying for uh, people with arthritis that at the moment of the, the laying on of hands a chemical change takes place in the bloodstream sooner or later I feel that we're going to get the cooperation of of medical practitioners in this so that people with arthritis could have a blood sample taken before they receive the laying on of hands and one taken after they receive the laying on of hands certainly if, they, if, if they're healed or show signs of, of healing and I think that what we shall find is that a chemical substance which has yet to be identified is released in the bloodstream through the laying on of hands through the transmission of energy by the laying on of hands and that this chemical substance which is then released in the bloodstream begins immediately to attack the calcium deposits which have cemented the joints so that the calcium deposits begin to dissolve away and the once stiff joints become flexible once again and many times one has, has seen this and uh, again my early days I used to get the people walking up and down and then created a bit of a sensation by telling them to run round the church <laughs> which we, we sometimes which we sometimes uh, did the thing is that it works even if we don't really know exactly how, how it, it takes place then again the great curse that one hears so much about these days is of course cancer I think it was on the news yesterday 
was it yesterday that was talking about cancer in Liverpool or something like that? Well, or, no, Glasgow, Glasgow, yeah. Glasgow this, in Glasgow. Right, Glasgow uh, which has a city in the world for Yes, cancer. something like one in three. One in six, yeah. one in six mm. was it? Yes. That, that dies of, of, yeah. of cancer. <coughs> but um, it's very interesting the number of, of people that one sees healed of, sees healed of, of, of cancer. There is, of course, nothing that does not yield, certainly in my experience, uh, to this, this ministry of healing. And cancer seems no more difficult to heal than any other condition. In laying hands on, not always laying hands on the patients for healing of cancer, because uh, many times I don't even see the patient, but yet healings are reported and, and verified by the doctors. But there does seem to be a definite pattern. Uh, Dr. Ian Pierce gave us a very fine talk mm-hmm. at Glastonbury last year on the gate of healing, and Nigel probably has Dr. Ian Pierce's book of yeah. the same title yeah. here. I think I've got one on sale, I think. One left. Very, very well worth reading, or buy a copy of the tape. It was a, a, a very fine talk and in it he has much to say about the kind of person that is prone to cancer. And you know there's a stigma attached to cancer and often people say to me, Brian, why should such and such a person get cancer? They're such a lovely person, such a wonderful person and yet they've got cancer. And this, of course, is so often the trouble that the, uh, some of the, the most splendid and, and lovely and loving people seem to go down with this uh, particular uh, disease. But it, it has been my experience that I, I think in every cancer case that I've got to know anything about that always there has been a source of underlying hurt of bitterness, resentment, anger, very often the the repressed emotion which has been pushed down, hidden out of sight. Uh, Dr. Pierce spoke at some length about this and spoke about the, the character, the nature of this particular person who may have been required, for instance, it might be a, a young woman who is the only child and has never been able to get away from home because she had an invalid father or an invalid mother or invalid parents and has had to remain behind and so has lost the opportunity for marriage and motherhood. And you say, well, this uh, lady is so splendid looking after her aged parent like this so unselfishly so uncomplainingly so uncritically and isn't it terrible that she has got cancer but so very often it is this kind of person who has given everything has as it were given up any right to or entitlement to live their own kind of, of life and 
inwardly and probably unrecognised by them there's a, a, a deep-seated bitterness or unhappiness anyway which seems to cause the, the cancer to, to begin it takes only one cell to go berserk uh, very often in a case such as I've been describing the woman may get a cancer of the breast or cancer of the of the womb and it seems to be that when the patient has become deeply unhappy that the cells the reproductive cells in particular also become unhappy and they go berserk they go insane I think that's there's no better way of describing it than, than to say that some cell of the body goes insane and then that it wants mad insane cell throws off the body intelligence it's, it's as though it calls the surrounding cells on strike leads a mutiny it's as though the one cell is saying I am fed up with you meaning the, the person that you are inwardly and so the cell goes berserk goes insane uh, begins to lead its own life the chemistry of the cell is changed it becomes abnormal and it entices other cells to join it in its rebellion and so in no time at all you have got a, a cancer developing now as I've suggested a cancer is, is not incurable uh, the late Harry Edwards was asked to provide evidence of healing to the British Medical Association I think it was and he provided something like 120, 130 uh, case histories of people that had been diagnosed by the medical profession as having cancer and every single one of those had received healing uh, through Harry Edwards and had either was still alive or had uh, lived a, a much longer than the prognosis suggested but um, in those days the BMA was much less inclined to be sympathetic to these sort of claims and they just shelved them and just would not investigate them uh, I had a, a, a case of a, a young man who came into uh, a meeting of mine in Birmingham in nine, about 1965 I think it was and he was a hopeless epileptic he'd suffered epilepsy he was in his early 20s and he'd suffered I think for about 15 years and his epilepsy was being controlled but to some extent but he still had numerous uh, fits every day from the moment he received the laying on of hands in my meeting he has never had uh, an epileptic fit from that day to this and he went to the doctor and said look I am healed of of the uh, epilepsy and I no longer need to take whatever medication he was receiving and the doctor said well that's alright you come back to me in seven years and he said and if you still have ep epilepsy then then I'll, I'll believe that you're healed he went back seven years later and the doctor said it's far too long ago now we, we have no evidence that you know that you had epilepsy in the first place this was the sort of thing the sort of attitude that the late Harry Edwards encountered and it made him rather unhappy to say the least uh, but he provided strong evidence of healing of uh, 
cancer and my own findings closely uh, parallel his and that is that when uh, healing of cancer is affected one of three things happens that if the patient has an external cancer cancer on the outside of, of the body from the moment that they're prayed for that cancer is struck dead by what means we don't know but this is what happens the cancer is struck dead and after a short while the cancer falls away leaving clean flesh just like a baby's underneath there are other uh, cases where one has laid hands on or prayed for a person with an internal cancer um, cancer of the intestine for instance and after prayer uh, the person has in the space of about 24 hours 48 hours has gone to the lavatory and passed the cancer and been completely healed uh, in other instances there have been people that have been totally uh, I say totally riddled with cancer the cancer has spread to different parts of the body and from the time that they have been prayed for they have begun to sweat profusely from the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet uh, under the arms and so forth the sweat has poured from their body it's over a period of days afterwards it has stopped and they have been completely healed of the cancer so something very wonderful takes place in these cases and I'm very interested to know anything that there is to be known concerning the scientific investigation of paranormal or supernatural healing then uh, just a, a word or two about the art of healing there's a nice way of doing healing and a not so nice way of doing it I personally have seen people do all sorts of not very pleasant things to people that came to an evangelistic meeting where someone was praying for the, the sick I've seen the most hideous uh, things done there is no reason why anyone uh, shouldn't engage in this healing I, I'm certain it's not a a special gift because there are people uh, in the literature of healing who have not believed in healing who have not believed that divine healing works and to prove that it doesn't work have, have set out themselves to lay hands upon sick people and seen the most marvellous cures effected so they neither believed in healing nor did they believe that they had a gift but obviously there is something within the human body within our soul spirit maker within our consciousness which is able to touch something in the patient and the, honestly there is no reason why anyone uh, should not as occasion uh, offers itself lay hands upon a person who who is sick there's nothing certainly to be lost but how to do it in the Bible it says that Jesus laid his hands upon people and certainly
for many years I found it, that all I did was, was simply to lay my hands upon the person's head uh, you don't have to shake them you don't have to press on them just simply lay your hands like that some people uh, even people that have never had any experience or practice at this find that in so doing the first time they feel that there's a kind of energy flowing from their hands but you can do it nicely and gently you don't have to say words of, of prayer even I very well remember the first time that I uh, ever did it I didn't know anything about divine healing but I heard a voice speak to me one night and said you will heal the sick and I went back to my work the next day I worked in a medical laboratory as a, as a technician and we had a, a young girl who was dying of, of nephritis and I felt the strangest compulsion to go into the cubicle where she was uh, lying semi-comatose I felt the strongest compulsion to go in there and pray for her and I didn't know how to do it and so far as I can remember now it's been a long time ago I went in and I think I knelt by her bedside and I think I put my hands on both her uh, both my hands on her head and I prayed for her to be healed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and she was but uh, it was almost better than judgment I did not know how to do it and it's it's in comparatively recent days that I've realised that when Jesus laid his hands upon people that it does not actually say in scripture that he laid his hands on the person's head although one usually sees it done that way in, in uh, a church meeting but, but what's to stop you actually laying your hand upon the afflicted part it sounds more sensible almost to go direct to the part of the body that is afflicted uh, this is another subject but one thing that happens of course in ministering over a long period to sick people is that you develop an intuitive awareness a consciousness of exactly where the problem lies and uh, you can go straight to the, the source of, of the problem but there is a, an, an art of healing I never had anybody to teach me indeed I, when I started I fondly imagine that I was the only person in the country that prayed, <laughs> prayed for the sick um, but I developed a way just of laying my hands on, on people and that seems to work and other people seem to use quite different uh, methods uh, sometimes you see a person will lightly run their hand down the spine to and, and develops a, such a, a keen sense of what is wrong that they can immediately pinpoint the spot in the spinal cord where the, the problem is, is caused um, my way always with, with deaf people is always just to put my fingers in their ears and press the ear tight closed and then to take one hand away and say be opened and take the other finger away and say be opened and likewise I've done the same with with um, people that are blind everyone I suspect develops his own particular uh, approach but I, just the other evening I think it must have been earlier this week there was a television item I think it was on the 6 o'clock news on BBC One where it was stated that uh, spiritual healing was now going to be sanctioned by for, for a test period by the BMA and they showed this lady healer 
who was uh, running her hands over the body of the patient and then she was doing this presumably throwing away the sick condition well I'm sure I'm certain she was absolutely uh, sincere in what she was doing and convinced that there was something efficacious in it but it is totally unnecessary however healing is gotten rid of you don't get rid of it by doing this sort of thing and, and sometimes particularly um, healers within the spiritualist movement make passes over people and do all kinds of funny things with their hands and honestly it just is not necessary so anyway that's something about it's an introduction anyway to the the science and the art of spiritual healing so perhaps if you'd like to ask questions that might be the best thing <coughs> or make observations if you have experience in this field or anything to add do you experience an altered state of consciousness when you're actually uh, in one sense of course one's consciousness is always changing it's changing every moment the answer is sometimes yes undoubtedly um, as I said I started off as an evangelist I've always been an inspirational preacher I've always taught and preached the Bible and when I would do so the Bible would come alive so that I would see deeper meaning in it than ever I had known in any intellectual way in other words I would give out as I received inspiration I felt that I was a channel now this produced a kind of uh, something like an ecstatic feeling after I had finished preaching I was on what do they call it cloud nine is that the expression uh, in a, with a feeling of a the sort of elevated spiritual consciousness and it was then that I would pray with great confidence for sick people and see them healed it was for that reason that I was so niggled when I was asked to minister to the man who'd been stoned there for 50 years when it hadn't been an especially marvellous meeting but uh, the people were going home and that feeling of elation had disappeared so the answer is yes sometimes I do uh, feel an altered state of, of consciousness but I don't know, I, I couldn't work it out. I went to a healing workshop once, which was held by Matthew Manning, which was very quite interesting. Um, he did, offline, he showed us how to use hands, how one could actually feel certain sensations running over the body, what was wrong, and it was very interesting. Uh, one of the things he said was that uh, he'd come to the conclusion that though he could heal and he preferred to heal only the really desperate cases because he simply didn't have time to heal the cases that weren't desperate um, if he, his conclusion was that unless the person themselves also was changed in attitude uh, nine times out of ten then the healing didn't, in the long run, amount to very much. Mm. But it was necessary for the person themselves uh, to be healed. So it is enormously important that the patient does change his attitude. One always hopes that the person will, to use the Bible word, be converted. 
where it changes your attitude. Yes, exactly. The, the Bible word is repentance. Uh, change your mind, to change your, your mind, attitude, yeah. to change your way of thinking, to change your re relationships with people. Um, certainly th this is important, but you, of course you cannot do it you, uh, any more than Jesus. Jesus could not force people to repent. Yeah. But he, and, and interestingly, he did not make their repentance or he did not make uh, any stipulation that they had to believe before before he prayed for them. Uh, I've often said this, that um, God doesn't heal us because we're, we're good, any more than God saves you because you deserve to be saved. God saves you because you're a sinner and God heals you because you are sick. I'm, not, I'm being religious now. But uh, this young man that I mentioned just a moment ago who was healed of epilepsy, he has never changed in any way at all. And a few years ago, he was, uh, he was interviewed on the, the radio about his healing, but sometime before this I found that he tried to, to actually to make money out of his healing by uh, hiring a hall and announcing that he was going to give his testimony. And I think he was charging people for admission or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Nobody went, as it turned out. But <laughs> But I mean, he was he was trying to to actually make money out of it. So he certainly has not changed in any way spiritually, to to the best of my knowledge. Maybe one shouldn't make any judgment in these uh, circumstances. But that's that's exactly as I've seen it. The the man in Italy who had been stone deaf for 25 years, who lost his hearing in the Second World War. So successful were our meetings in that town that although we went for only three days, we actually stayed for 54 days in Udine with a meeting most nights. And this was, I was having to speak to an interpreter. So it was seven and a half weeks those meetings went on for. And very often in the evening as the pastor with whom we were staying and I, Frida, walked along the road to the hall where we were having the meetings we would pass this man sitting in the uh, what you call a, a, a sort of roadside uh, bistro. bistro yes that's that sort of place he would be sitting there with his side or whatever it was he was drinking and uh, the minister who was a, a very keen evangelical type was deeply disturbed that this man who had received such a marvelous healing would not come to the meeting of course he was nominally a catholic and this was in the days before Vatican II, when the Catholic Church was rather uh, more self-contained than it perhaps it is today. So he used to ask the men, are you coming to the meeting tonight? Oh, not tonight, he said, but I, I might some other time. But he never did. And the pastor, out of his concern for this good man, went to see his wife and said to the lady it's wonderful that your husband has been healed he, he is healed isn't isn't uh, he oh yes she said yes he's, he's healed he's, he's perfectly all right now and he said it's wonderful what jesus can do isn't it oh not jesus she said saint anthony or saint <laughs> Teresa. so there was a case where the healing definitely took place the person didn't change and neither the man nor uh, the woman concerned changed their ideas at all. I suppose really that the evangelical pastor hoped that they would on the basis of this healing miracle leave the Catholic Church and, and join the Pentecostal Church. Why should they? 
if God heals us, I, I hope that doesn't sound irreligious or irreverent or anything, if it's God that heals us, um, God doesn't require us to uh, sort of change our church <laughs> before we can, we can be healed. But there is a case of, of, of the healing actually taking place and being attributed to uh, Roman Catholic saints. I mean, who's, who's to say that St. Anthony and, uh, and St. Teresa didn't have something to, to do with it? How does the healing take place? It, it takes place when it's done in the name of Jesus and it takes place when it's not done in the name of Jesus. It takes place when people believe and when they don't believe and when the minister or the person giving the laying on of hands believes or doesn't believe. Yes, as with the centurion servant. Uh, the servant didn't know anything about it at all and the centurion all. presumably didn't know much about who Jesus really was though he had faith, we're told. Jesus, he was one of the three people that Jesus yeah. commended for. Him. Yeah, the other two. <laughs> Uh, one was a Roman, one was the Syrophoenician woman who came, came out of Lebanon as we would call, call it to see Jesus and Jesus was on his way there when she moved towards him, he moved towards her and she wanted prayer for her daughter's healing and Jesus answered her not a word he turned his back on her twice and he said healing it's, it's not meat to give uh, the, children, the children's meat to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, but even the dogs eat of the bread that falls from the master's table. And he said, O woman, great is thy faith. Uh, go and be it unto the even as, as thou wilt. And, and her daughter was healed. That was a Syrophoenician woman. There was the Roman centurion. And um, there was someone else. The only three cases where Jesus commended people for their faith, and they weren't Jews. But if you think there's something wrong inside a person before, then you're going back to the old idea that really sin, disease is caused by sin earlier. Or well, uh, these days I do my very best to get people out of this sort of tunnel vision and the use of Bible terminology which creates uh, a sort of preconceived image which very often is unhelpful. Um, sin is a very loaded and rather unpleasant word and the fact is that we live in a terribly guilt-conscious society took me a long, long time to realise this and to discover, one of the greatest discoveries I ever made was that Jesus never once called anybody a sinner. Fantastic. Incredible. Not once. Anywhere, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not once. Nowhere can you find one single place where Jesus ever found, called anybody a sinner. The way Jesus worked was actually to restore to people a sense of their self-worth and self-value, self-esteem as he did with, uh, with Zacchaeus who was a I love talking about Zacchaeus who was a horrid man he was the man who was uh, the Jew who was in the employ of the Romans and collected the taxes and, and probably took twice or three times as much money off the people as he was supposed to and it went into his own pocket but when he saw Jesus he shinned up the sycamore tree and fell in love with Jesus and Jesus said come down Zacchaeus I'm coming to have lunch at your house Jesus never found it necessary to condemn the man but by restoring to that man a sense of his self-worth and, and self-esteem the man, the man was converted and uh, this I find is 
is tremendously important from uh, first of all from the standpoint of evangelism but also from the standpoint of treating patients because the fact is that our sicknesses and diseases don't come from outside of us they don't drop down on us from somewhere they actually arise from within our own souls at least this is how it seems to me and therefore what one is really hoping for uh, with, with any patient is, is really to see a, a transformation uh, a work to use the, the Christian terms again to see a work of grace in, in the soul uh, or we would say to see this spiritual consciousness change it doesn't really matter how you express it as long as you get the feel of the inner healing which ideally should take place for the physical healing to manifest after all, if a person is only healed in terms of their physical ailment and does not receive any benefit so far as their soul is concerned, howsoever you care to define soul or spirit or consciousness, they have not really received a proper healing. Jesus on one occasion healed a person. It was the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been lying there 38 years and probably could have been healed any time he wanted to if he'd made up his mind but he'd got a chip on his shoulder a monumental chip on his shoulder bitter, complaining, critical resentful and Jesus healed him and then told him go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon, upon me in other words he was saying now let the miracle of transformation be not just on the outside but on the on the inside as well change your attitude change your idea change your approach to life that implied that his illness was caused by his previous sins didn't it? yes but again so the question is how are you going to define sin if we come to the theological definition sin is the transgression of the law which uh, uh, sounds a bit harsh the trouble is that, that Christians tend to think of sin as adultery or a sexual sin, or murder, or theft. Fairly sort of modern, relatively modern definition of sin within the Christian Orthodox doctrine. Because originally, uh, there was a very interesting <coughs> book by Morris Nichols, know, called *The Mark*, and he investigates its actual. Um, the nomenclature, the meaning of sin, historical meaning, and initially it meant missing the mark, yes, exactly, getting the exactly. wrong idea. It yes. wasn't being naughty, exactly. evil, or anything like that. It was just having the wrong idea. Yes, and and to to sin was to miss the mark. It was a, an archery expression. The book, the book is done. Yes, yes, I'm glad you brought that up, book. John. That's that's absolutely true. It means to fall short. Mm. And then, if I might take it further, I rather suspect that it became then a very useful vehicle of threat, underlying threat, so that, you know, you sin, ho, ho, ho. If you are not good, and there's only one way you can be good, you know, dispensation and all the rest of it, um, and very useful, and the whole idea of it became totally distorted and very, very hard. I suppose that it essence, sin, if we will use that word, is basically is selfishness. 
or lovelessness, mm. lovelessness, and the person that is really healed begins to love, and perhaps, particularly in cancer cases, it's necessary for that person to begin to love themselves, perhaps for the first time. We sometimes think that self-love is something very wrong, but most people do not know how to how to love themselves. Most people have very negative feelings about themselves, and um, spiritual healing can begin to take place when this change in a person's thinking and ideas has uh, begun to take effect. But none of this can really apply to children, can it? Children's diseases. No, except that there are instances where children appear to suffer because of the lifestyle of the parents. Um, it is a really another subject, but undoubtedly there is a karmic element in sickness and disease and a remission of, of karma, I suppose. I've never used the expression before. Probably why well, I just had to say your sins are forgiven before anyone was healed. But that would imply that the remission of karma first and then the healing. Mm -hmm. And of course, karma could uh, could apply to children because it would be what they've done in their previous lives. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and this a newborn baby. Yes, yeah. and uh, certainly this feeling about the possible cause of some sickness, at least, uh, is implicit in St John's Gospel. I think it's chapter nine, where a man who was blind from his birth was brought to Jesus, and the disciples said to Jesus, "Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" It is very significant that Jesus did not say to the disciples, you know that there is no such thing as, as reincarnation. If their thinking was totally erroneous, it is very remarkable that Jesus did not take uh, advantage of the opportunity that presented itself to say, there is no such thing as reincarnation and karma. You are completely mistaken. This is a, an idea which has come down out of pagan religions, but I'm telling you that there is no such thing. Reincarnation and, and karma, of course, is, is set forth in the, in the Bible. In fact, I spoke on it just a, a week ago today, uh, biblical uh, light on, on rebirth. And uh, certainly for us to understand some of the factors involved in some people's healing, uh, we, we do need an intuitive insight, uh, which I find is given from, from time to time, uh, into the person's previous incarnation or incarnations. Can I just take up what Annette said just now about children? Um, yesterday, uh, it was quite interesting, and I had one little boy. We had dictation, which we have once a week, with some Greeks are fair and trembling and others goody-goody because they know they're always goody. And one little boy, Lee, his name was, who always burst into tears before dictation. And yesterday I said, right, I said, dictation now. I said, Lee, stand up. Said, say, after me, I am the best dictation writer in the class. I said, nobody writes dictation better than I do. He said that. I said, you listen better than I listen better than anybody in the class, and I don't worry. He said that. I said, right, sit down, and off we go. You know, we had no problem at all. And he bore education and so on for the first time without any fuss. Mm -hmm. 
And he was... Nicholas. What? Was he the best in Nicholas? Oh, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, uh, <laughs> I think he was probably the worst. The amazing one, that he, he didn't destroy himself with, with fear and, and, and crying yes. and so on. That's tremendous. Um, <clears throat> and I've done that several times on other sort of little things like that. And it does work. And children, you know, it's starting. It starts early with some children. They're brought up in a terribly negative environment. And you can see that the destruction starting at an early age. This is the one place where education can come instead of talking with the vacation. Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, to take that point up, it's, it starts a long time before school. I mean, I know people here tend to think about school education, but I think that negative environment starts very, very much earlier than... Well, oh, that's right. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, it's one place where well, school, school can actually... Because school can help by patching it up. Well, that's a healing, isn't it? I mean, that's a healing of a person, a person's attitude, and that is is so important for young people to to start off in the in the right way, because so much sickness and disease stems from frustration and unhappiness. Which I got that idea from Harry Johnson's tape. Because, uh, you know, he does yes. have a lot to say on this, this educational sort of therapy or attitude. Mm-hmm. Are others of you actually involved in in any way in healing? Yes, you are, Alan. Mm-hmm. In the, on the sort of lines that I've been talking or through some other therapy? Or oh, no, very much. I, well, I feel it's so much an expression of love that I mm-hmm. notice when I'm healing how so my patients get so beautiful, I don't like reading the term patient because it's yes, a mutual yes. uh, mm. uh, thing. I personally uh, work very much on the mental level mm. in the sense that uh, when the mentality is ready to accept the healing, it's an automatic flow, it, it's an intuitive thing that, yes. uh, that seems to work, but uh, I very much go along with Jesus his teaching in the Course of Miracles that it's an election on the part of the person it's an illusion but it's a, mm. it's a very real, mm. uh, real illusion to that person but when they start to let go I mean, the, the healing is spontaneous and automatic yes. it's ingenious the way uh, that the, the method might be that it comes about but that doesn't matter but that uh, I think Jesus will take the decision on that. We will, we will merely be the channel as appropriate. Yes. yes. Uh, though at times, I mean, one works on according to the mentality of the person, and they're happier with a, mm. uh, something more physical or something like that. Which, but one is, as you say, working more on the effect. Unless the cause uh, is clear, the effect will merely change. That's yes. all. Uh, I think so often the healing begins to take place when the person opens up and uh, usually if I have a, a, a patient come to see me I just seek to put them at ease just ask them about their journey or anything that just, just comes to mind and let, and let them talk and uh, I, I find that very often that they haven't had anybody that they could talk to and they just pour themselves out and and really the healing has begun and sometimes it's almost superfluous to do anything else it was just the release of pent up emotion or fear or hostility or whatever it is uh, and the, the healing process has begun has begun to to take that very much effect. the more relaxed I can 
the, the yes. person becomes, yes. the more it's easier for the, the healing processes yes. to, or seemingly to, to work uh, through them. See, I don't think that there's any difference between the healer and the non-healer, except that the one believes he can do something, the other person probably has never seriously thought about it. I used to be asked the question whether I had the gift of healing, and I used to say, no, I don't think I have the gift of healing. And uh, to illustrate this, I, about, about 20 years ago, the postmaster at our local post office in Birmingham said to me, Brian, would you like to have this Olivetti typewriter? It was a portable typewriter. He said, I'm not using it. Would you like to have it? He said, I won't give it to you, but you can use it. I might want it back, but anyway, you have it. Well, I've still got that typewriter to this day. He's never taken it back. The question is, is the typewriter mine or his? And I don't know, and I suppose it doesn't really matter. In a way, divine healing is, is like that. Um, it's some people think that they have the gift of healing and I suppose yes I suppose I have a gift of healing or the gift of healing works through me